Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Nicole Mata is such a fine example of what Peter Vale and I envisioned, even though we didn't talk specifically about the sort of practitioner profile uh, would uh, comport to our conjectures about the nature of practice. This would be Nicole, top to bottom, side to side. She is a learner. She's a communicator. She has made a number of changes in less than 10 years since she graduated, all of them in the right direction for what sounds like a very promising quality of life as well as a way of being. Using her personality to work with the people who she can help and they will help her now in an extraordinarily complex role as an estimator in Pratt & Whitney, our jet engine facility here in Connecticut. Well, she'll tell you about her journey, but right now it's been five weeks and I think she is catching on real well. So here is one of my favorite students, Nicole Mata. Yes, folks, I am at it again. I've tracked down another former student, a memorable former student, Nicole Mata, because uh, when she was in my classroom, I could almost picture where she was sitting in some of those classes. She was alert <laughs> and prepared, and we would thrust you guys into exercises, and Nicole was right in the middle of it, you know, just... Uh, helping the team figure things out and uh, getting it done. And that's the sort of energy that I know continues today. Now, how long, Nicole, has it been since you graduated from Central Connecticut State University? I believe it's since May 2014. It's been a while. Aha. Aha. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and you attended my graduation <laughs> in... Uh, April 2016, April, mm -hmm. April 2016. And I really appreciated that to see you after you'd been away and even spent some money to, <laughs> that we were using that as a fundraiser. It was very nice and very, very considerate. Let me start there. Why did you come to my graduation after two years away? More of an impact. So the way you taught your classes, uh, you also did consulting on the side. It, it was all things I was interested in and you invested into your students. So, of course, I wanted to be able to so somewhat pay it forward, essentially, but support you as well. I like that word invest. It's true. You know, a teacher has just so much uh, mental energy and spiritual power. Uh, to put into an hour of what we used to call instruction, which I think is a little a, a little over, out of date, but presence to be there when you guys came through the door and I had your name signs stuck to the chairs and you all had your teams. And uh, 
it's almost like at that moment when the first person came through the door, I, I, my energies would all rise and, and, uh, and I'd be fueled. And then after one, two or three classes in a particular day, I'd wilt. <laughs> <laughs> but I hopefully, hopefully you understand that's what you invest as a teacher time. Sure. But the whole self goes into it when you're doing it because you love it. Now, when you were a student and graduated in 2014, had you already started on your path toward working at Pratt & Whitney Aircraft? So surprisingly, no. So I actually was at their sister company at the time called UTC Aerospace Systems. Oh, yeah. So I was originally interned as um, was an excess casualty underwriter at Travelers. And then later I did an internship with UTC Aerospace Systems, specifically in staffing. Um, I felt there was uh, definitely a connection in HR and that's where I wanted to be. And thankfully post uh, college, getting my degree, they gave me a full-time offer. So yeah, it was did nice. Did you stay in HR there? Yes, I did. So I stayed there almost five years, uh, moving up from data analyst to uh, recruiter and then project manager. And I realized potentially, unfortunately, when they were acquiring Collins at the time, uh, staffing was looking to be outsourced. So I was yeah, warned, I remember that. probably is best for you to start looking just in case. So I tried to look internally and I actually was applying for Pratt & Whitney at the same time I was applying for Aetna. But Aetna gave an offer I could not refuse. So I ended up just switching over to Aetna, also HR specifically in staffing, but more project management. And it's look an what happened journey. at Aetna. Yeah, After, and then I they think got you, acquired. You, you may be the cause of these acquisitions, these <laughs> multi-billion dollar purchases. You say, Where, where's Nicole working next? Uh-oh, she's working at Pratt & Whitney. Let's, let's get the checkbook out. Uh, I think Pratt & Whitney's quite secure there, though. <laughs> yeah, here in, uh, in East Hartford and, and its other facilities. That is a, that's an interesting part of your story and i will get to the what you're actually doing now because uh back when we were looking at managing i made sure that you students understood that that's not something just they do managers but what you do for yourself constantly and by that you you look at what's coming and you anticipate what you can do about it and then you make choices so you anticipated some change in the first uh, role, in the second role, in the third role. And uh, now you are an estimator in the BACE program. And you put it in the chat, but if I read it, then I won't be able to talk. Can't do both at the same time. So tell me and therefore my thousands of listeners <laughs> in my dreams, uh, a BACE estimator does. Absolutely. So I'm quite new. I'm probably about five weeks into the role or just about to be five weeks. Wow. And um, it, I'm still learning it myself to be very transparent, but essentially an estimator is an individual that is able to take um, a quote or a request, if you will, for a project and to be able to sparse out the labor costs as well as the material costs for a specific duration of time. 
So it's definitely uh, very involved with working with multiple groups, making sure that we're working with engineers to project managers, to program managers, to contracts, to finance. So we're we're kind of the, um, if you will, point person to make sure all the information is as close to accurate before it gets approved and pushed off to the customer. So it's nice for me to use the people soft skills and also the more analytical um, skills at the same time to make sure information is correct. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. I enjoy so far. So you made another, you made another uh, considered move within Pratt Whitney that brought you to the past five weeks. Prior to those five weeks, what were you doing at Pratt? So surprisingly, um, Dr. Fearon, I actually was at a, a nonprofit organization prior to Pratt. Oh. And I, it, thankfully, I I, I was able to receive a referral, which allowed me to step into Pratt and & Whitney and recently get this role. So definitely a lot of changes in my career track. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, old wise professor said, that's look ahead, you're probably going to see 14 or more uh, career changes in your career. Now, I Nicole, I didn't mean to do them all within the last nine years. So, <laughs> you know, you, but that's great. And and so it, it requires you to know who you are, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, no uh, uh, shyness will allow you to pitch yourself into these new and very demanding roles that you've had all along. Every one of them is relatively high stakes for the business or the nonprofit. Uh, and where did you get that courage? Yeah, so I I truly feel it's been uh, mentors, uh, yourself included, um, others in my life who really took the time to give me advice on how to have a voice. I've been in multiple uh, leadership development programs as well, uh, starting off as inroads to the yeah, multicultural women's program at Aetna to a more recent network of women's program that was at my uh, nonprofit job. And now I'm even considering to look at potential pursuing executive coaching. So it's just allowing me to use the gifts and talents that I truly believe comes from uh, from God. Right. I'm, I'm more uh, more of a religious or spiritual background, but essentially it's just it's a blessing to be able to give back. Right. So others have invested into me and now I want to invest and give back to those who are the next generation of leaders. So. A voice, a voice that that is so important. And there's so many um, barriers to for anyone, whether they're female or whatever ethnicity, to being heard. Uh, and so it takes a, a constant practice of thinking about what you're going to say and saying it in a way that people will listen. I call that leadership. And 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 I also commend you for putting your time into constant study of, of ways, particularly women and minority people are um, gaining voice and, and thank goodness, <laughs> you know, we, we all uh, complacent, uh, men uh, who've built up these companies, uh, we should all be out in the golf course and just turn the whole thing over over to you guys and say, make sure the royalties are, keep, keep my pension coming. But uh, there's another woman who um, is uh, 
has a similar history to yours. I think you might remember when she was a guest in my class, Christina Negron Mitocina. Yes. Similar uh, idea about herself. Uh, mm -hmm. Started out as a receptionist at Aetna in order to in order to pay her first tuition at Central, and uh, now she is working for the. I don't remember what the company is now that oversees you guys. I guess it's Raytheon <laughs> this mm -hmm. week. Uh, but she's had to make quite a few similar changes. But one thing she used to say to you guys in class, and still says it, she's been on a couple of my podcast episodes, I go for the learning. Yeah. And if I'm asked to do an assignment and I don't see a future of real difficulty in the best sense of the word, that I have to master, I say no, or I politely uh, look look for something that I can uh, that I can find more challenge. And and she's still doing it, and you are too. That's a that's wonderful. Do you remember Christina? Yes. So we're still in contact today. I actually met up with her several times at Aetna. So she is um, also a mentor of mine. So it is nice. To all be connected and maintain the relationships, yeah, yeah, and and I had, um, I I think I must have had dozens and dozens of people over the years that I brought to class, uh, every class, not each day, each time during the week, but every week had a guest, and I'd build my modules around it. And Christina was, you know, here I am, Christina. I'm asking for you again because. Every time she came, she had, as you are, found a way to expand her, not her power, yes, her power, but her uh, awareness and her utility. She understood, particularly in HR, uh, that can be sourced out. A lot of those functions can be sourced out and are being sourced out, have been for years. Uh, in the role you are right now, you're not strictly a human resource person anymore yet you have to figure out all those human costs the labor costs you have to look at the safety issues and other things around whatever the the offer is going to be um so what are a couple of things that are new to you that you're mastering now in this new role as an estimator so for me, it's more of just understanding the process. So I'm I'm more focused on having a system and being in HR and having specific groups to be able to support some of our requests. Here, we do have specific groups, but it's not necessarily as black and white, the process, because each request is quite unique and quite different. Yeah. So there's going to be a longer time frame for learning because it's not a, a simple uh, do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get this output, right? You yeah. put the input and you get the output. It's much more convoluted where there's uh, different decisions, approvals, and all sorts of um, factors that are coming into play that I'm still trying to understand on top of all the wonderful acronyms that Pratt & Whitney is so known for. <laughs> so it is a new, new adventure. Um, I remember at UTC Aerospace Systems, it was very similar but here it's even, it's amplified because that's the regular language daily, where in HR, we don't necessarily, we didn't have to use that much um, technical jargon. So Yeah, no, it, because it's a shorthand uh, for 
work that has to happen uh, as efficiently as possible. You're building jet engines. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine many more complex and complicated uh, pieces of machinery on earth. Uh, and not it, it wouldn't be that difficult. And similarly, if you had you could build a great big box and it would set in on the ground and inside would be all these working parts. No, this has to hang on a rather slim stem on the wing of a plane and perform at a level that, you know, when I was a kid and saw my first jet plane, I was that was a saber jet. And I was like, oh, my God, where's the propeller? And now the those engines that you work on and everything related to it are amazingly complex. So the estimating takes on a huge uh, responsibility, if you will, for everyone involved. No right. mistakes. Mm -hmm. So you must be terrified. You may well, run right now. Go ride. <laughs> go sit in your car and <laughs> cry. No, there's grace. There's grace. We have multiple approval processes to to correct yeah. any errors. So that's the nice part. Do you work but in yes. a team? Do you work in a team? I do. Thankfully, I believe it's about 18 people and we have specific groups that we support. If we're inundated, we all we all help out. So it is nice. Yeah. And how about leadership? Uh, do you have one overseer to the whole uh, team uh, or, or each broken into each team lead? How, how's, how do yep. they distribute the authority? Leadership comes from everyone, but how they dis distributed the authority? Absolutely. So currently for my specific group in estimating, we have uh, one lead over all of us. And then we have three supervisors that support probably about four to five uh, team members. So it's a smaller aspect, but base in itself is a much larger scale group that has multiple leaders. Uh, and to some point, I think some people are dotted line. I'm still truly understanding. So hopefully no one quote me if you're in that group, but Essentially, I'm still learning to understand who are the key leaders within the organization and then it, it trickling down because it is quite complex. The um, output, it's, it's, you've, you've worked at it five weeks, but what would be considered uh, a near perfect estimate that would, that would go forward in behalf of uh, all of your efforts? What would be some of the characteristics of a near perfect estimate? Yeah, so for me, it's providing uh, the primary information within, uh, they have their own templates, and within the templates, it, it breaks down, again, as I mentioned, labor costs, material costs, travel costs. It needs to be inclusive of all details, and it also references uh, prior what we call BOEs, but essentially base of estimates. So it needs to reference uh, those that were first generation, second generation, et cetera, but it's it's referencing prior information. So we have historical actuals within the details. That helps us to be able to mitigate risk, whether the price is going to be too high or it's going to be too low. Uh, also having uh, factors comprised within the estimates. And I'm sorry if I'm getting a little too technical, but essentially no, there's complexity factors, simplicity factors, efficiency factors, these are all things to ensure that the number value is as close as accurate. Um, so when it goes to the customer, 
the customer is not necessarily going to push back. Why? Because it contains all the details that they need. And it also is within a reasonable price range based off of prior estimates. And from there, if the customer is happy, we usually make an end deal post negotiations. Um, but even still, there's an additional work around just making sure that the data is accurate at that point in time. So this process is, is ongoing, right? You have the preliminary details that need to go out. And then once post-negotiation, they've outlined everything that they want. It comes back to us to make sure, okay, do we have the most accurate data when it comes to historical actual? So if we're tracking for the year, maybe the data went out, I don't know, we, we pushed out the proposal probably, or excuse me, the estimate in say November. And then the customer finally wants to make an agreement maybe in March, we need to go back and check all the data and provide yeah, a lot the of things could have changed. Then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have sometimes have to come back to them and say, whoops, <laughs> you know, price of uh, this or that is, has skyrocketed or Correct. A, there was mm -hmm. a, a, a labor uh, agreement that's increased pay. So that's, that's what must, among so many other things, make it very interesting for you that there's so much about change that you're you're actually a living change mm -hmm. in behalf of this vast uh, corporation and ultimately on behalf of the people who are going to be using the end product right yeah and there's competitors i assume mm -hmm. so yeah. um there's a big part of business that has to do with coming across with something more favorable to what the customer wants to do than your competitors. And there's a lot of that going on. Uh, I, I want to jump back a little bit because I'm watching the time is going well, but I, uh, no, but you mentioned in your story, Nicole, that you were um, in, is it called inbound? And, uh, and what was the original program that you mentioned? And inroads. Correct. Mm -hmm. Inroads. How did they find you? What were you so, doing that that Enroad said, please join us and we'll place you in a corporation for some experience? Absolutely. So background knowledge that I did not share yet. So essentially, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to college. That was something that my parents pushed and said that's really important because my goal is to become an entrepreneur. And I felt it was important not to have to have a degree in order to at least kickstart something new. My parents uh, begged to differ and pushed me to at least a community college. By the time I was at community college, um, that's where Inroads was actually actively uh, recruiting new interns or new uh, participants of the program. And at that point, I started to realize, well, in order, if I ever want to own a business in the future, in order to fuel that business, it would be important for me to at least get basic principles within business management, but also be a part of a corporation and see how it functions, the in-workings, and gain some new skills to, to establish myself in the future. So that's at that point in time, community college, and I literally was starting to um, apply for Central is when I signed up for Inroads. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh is that partly what led you to some connections at Travelers? Yes. Yes. There were the folks back then, uh, Norma Ortega and some other yep. folks who you might remember, were mm -hmm. uh, very much involved with inroads uh, at the time that I was working with them as faculty advisor to the EDGE program. Uh, 
And quite a few of my former students, and particularly those in the EDGE program, are now well employed at Travelers with their own houses and families and dogs (laughs) or dogs (laughs) if they own them. And it's a wonderful thing to see because while you're thought about not going to college had more to do with an aspiration to be an entrepreneur. Most of the folks who we work with, particularly in edge and a lot of the students at central just didn't have much of a sense of what they wanted to do. And college was relatively affordable as was the community college. So it was kind of there as a pause in their lives to do a little searching for uh, what, uh, what might turn on their their engines, if you will, and fire them up. And it happened for you. Uh, is there still that entrepreneurial bug in your ear? Yes. Uh, so it has transformed and it usually ties into what my interests are. So early, early post high school and my focus was on either owning my own salon or doing uh, catering or even having a dance studio, which were all things I was interested in and didn't know what to choose. Uh, So more now, so I have such a passion to develop leaders. So I'm looking at potentially uh, building more of a consulting model or even a coaching model. Yeah, you mentioned that. That's intriguing. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. And now with more uh, corporate... um, stripes on your sleeve, if you will, not necessarily because you go up to be a, a VP of a VP of a VP, that could happen. But what I think is your creds a lot is that you know, the people who actually do the work. So if you're coaching someone, you're not coaching from I was a CEO, so I'm going to coach you. It is, yeah, I work day in and day out in very complex uh, endeavors with a lot of folks, a lot of moving parts, a lot of dotted lines, a lot of ambiguity, but we came together at key moments and we were able to produce. To me, that is uh, a person who I would, I would listen to very carefully these days. How do you get all that on a business card? <laughs> <laughs> you don't. <laughs> is that partly why you've stayed active on LinkedIn, somewhat active on LinkedIn? Because that takes time. Uh, To some degree, um, it's always good because of my recruiting background to be able to have uh, an updated profile, uh, keep your network fresh, uh, just see how others are doing. And then from there, yes, it helps from the business model, but it also helps from if you're pursuing, say, staying in corporate America, um, just great opportunity to see how people are doing and if there are new opportunities um, elsewhere. So, yeah. Well, I will ask you, do you have a dog? No, surprisingly, we do not. We do not. What is going on? Your generation is required to have a dog. <laughs> a cat? Yeah. No cats. A gold, I mean, a I'd goldfish? Probably... <laughs> <laughs> no, we have no pets. Um, more so because our family members do. So my husband's family has about five to six dogs. Oh, gee. Has... Yeah. So we get more than enough. Um, we see family quite actively. So that actually is where we get the fun with the pets. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And well, I'm just so proud of you. I really am. I, I take a tiny little part of your success and claim it as that I've helped you but overall you've helped yourself and you've helped yourself wonderfully with with the help of others it's always with the help of the of others and that was the thing I had to learn is uh, it's so important 
to be surrounded by a community. Those who really want to advocate, those who want to speak into one's life and, and really walk with you on the journey. Um, and that's what you've done and so many others. So I would not be who I am today without, without that. Well, folks, who she is, is Nicole Mata, formerly known as Nicole Grabowski. And uh, always in my lifetime, my favorite student. So thank you, Nicole. And don't let any of my other former favorite students know, because I said that. <laughs> thank you as well. I appreciate the time and just having the opportunity to uh, share my experience. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice, and you'll see what I mean. Thank you.